I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to be talking a little bit uh, about um, the policies of an experience of evacuation in Britain uh, at the start of the war and what it can tell us really about uh, British government and society um, prior to the war and, um, and thereafter. And it also tells us an awful lot about um, thinking uh, in terms of defence uh, in Britain between the wars. Um, the threat of um, aerial bombardment of um, British cities was a, a preoccupation uh, of the, the British government um, throughout the 1930s and um, the, the British population as well. Air power had been a uh, useful tool for the British in the 1920s for the um, <clears throat> expansion and control of their empire, particularly the control of new mandates, um, the use of um, air power uh, against the various tribal groups in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, is well documented, and the um, future um, leaders of Britain's own bombing force, people like um, Arthur Bomber Harris, um, really cut their teeth uh, in the Middle East um, and Egypt, learning uh, about how to effectively use air power to put down rebellions, uh, to move troops around and to bomb. So the British knew from their own experience how uh, important uh, air power was going to be. And they'd also previously had experience of London having been bombed in 1918. The uh, German Air Force's Gotha bombers um, had uh, launched a series of raids on London uh, causing widespread damage. Um, it's a, an element of um, the kind of British experience of the First World War that's very rarely looked at. I know that there is a book out there about London's first blitz. Um, I may be having a look at that at some point in the future. But so the idea of aerial bombing <coughs> was not unfamiliar to Britain. And in 1932, Stanley Baldwin uh, made his famously pessimistic um, statement 
that um, no matter what one does, the bomber will always get through. There will be, and no air defence system is sophisticated enough to keep them all out. And the, the inference being, really, it only takes one bomber to do a hell of a lot of damage. Nobody quite knew how much damage um, German uh, bombing would do in Britain. Some Ministry of Defence uh, estimates are wildly, um, wildly over uh, pessimistic or uh, wildly overestimate the um, effect. Uh, there was a, a feeling that um, perhaps 10 million would die in the first six months um, and that um, there would be uh, such an enormous um, level of chaos induced by bombing that um, law and order and civil society would completely collapse. Throughout the course of the war, some um, 55,000 people were killed by German bombing and eventually by the V2 raids. The majority of bombing victims were killed um, between 1939 and 1941. Thereafter, obviously, Hitler's interests really switched towards the Soviet Union, and this is where he concentrates the majority of his air power. The um, numbers killed uh, in Germany are far, far higher, but that's really the subject of a slightly different podcast. The British public were um, aware uh, through the cinema and through newsreels of the impact of bombing uh, when the Italians invaded Abyssinia in 1935, when the Spanish War, uh, Civil War begins in 1936, and when Japan invades uh, China in 1937. These three um, world you know, phenomena of um, worldwide notoriety um, are, are brought home. The destruction of cities like Nanjing and Guernica um, are, are really graphically um, brought home to a, a domestic British audience. Um, the government were... Um, interested primarily in maintaining order. That's not to suggest that there was a kind of a cold-hearted ruthlessness um, on the part of the government, but there was a, um, a feeling that the war could be lost within a matter of a few weeks by the outbreak of chaos at home, and really by um, an overwhelming public mandate to come to, Hitler, to come to terms with Hitler at any cost. And so this is something that the uh, the British government in 1939 are anxious to prevent, and they appoint Sir John Anderson. But this isn't to suggest that um, preparations had begun on the eve of the war, far from it. Um, in 1924, the uh, Air Raid Precaution Committee was established, uh, and this is the first committee really to establish, to suggest the idea of mass civilian evacuation. Um, Ramsay MacDonald and Stanley Baldwin and Neville Chamberlain, they all took um, bombing very seriously, the threat of bombing very seriously, um, and they had been, again, as with the British public, they had been informed by um, the actions of fascist powers throughout the 1930s. Anderson had been a colonial administrator in India, um, and he was a man who had um, presided over one of the more turbulent and violent periods of British colonial rule in India and was seen as a kind of a safe pair of hands in dealing with civil unrest. And, and this is really the basis upon which he's hired for, for the job. Um, 
So he's he's tasked not so much with protecting children, but maintaining public order in the out in, during the outbreak of mass bombing. The focus on evacuating children at all costs um, was um, based around the idea that that you needed to you know older people if they died. It wasn't as important as protecting the youth because these would be the future of the country. I mean, it seems obvious to say, but it was thought explicitly in those terms that the um, the, the the future um, leaders, um, engineers, um, designers, creators, and then workers needed to be protected at all costs. So there was perhaps a thinking that the Second World War might be this kind of long generational struggle. First evacuation begins in 1939, and it comes long before the uh, there is a real threat of uh, German planes over British cities. Uh, most children come home in drips and drabs over the next six months, thinking that really there, there's nothing um, particularly um, to worry about, um, and there is obviously a, a huge sense of loneliness, homesickness, and a desire to be reunited with the, the family. Many of the physical and emotional needs of children were completely overlooked um, by um, Anderson uh, and his team. There was an administrative confusion between local authorities and central government as to who was to provide for children basic things like toothbrushes and blankets. Obviously there were many children that came from deprived homes where um, there was either poverty or neglect and these kinds of things just weren't taken care of. So you found children um, stranded in uh, rural parts of Britain that they had no real understanding of and lacking uh, basic essentials. There was also no oversight uh, initially um, of the uh, evacuated children. So if a teacher went with them, it was by pure happenstance and pure good fortune. But there were no um, inspections, examinations of homes that children went to, um, and there was very little way of keeping track of what was happening to the children. And so, unsurprisingly, there are people now coming forward 50 or 60 years later after evacuation uh, reporting sexual and physical abuse, and the numbers are quite staggering. Um, it is looking as if perhaps at least a quarter of all children evacuated were abused in some way. There was also quite a lot of widespread emotional uh, abuse. Um, the uh, experience for children was extremely distressing. And one of the ways in which distress manifests itself in young children is very often through bedwetting. Um, the uh, presumption on the part of many uh, foster families um, that um, the children were dirty or badly behaved is, is quite prevalent. There's lots and lots of anecdotal evidence of people uh, being told that they were dirty and disgusting for having done this. Um, and this comes down to a, a, a deeper set of cultural values that existed in Britain, that probably still do, quite frankly, um, about um, child-rearing and child-training. It was a, a commonly held idea in the 1930s and 40s that um, a child is this kind of rather chaotic and uncivilised beast that needs to be trained 
that child training and sort of really eliminating the, the childhood from the child as quickly as possible through strict discipline and instruction uh, was what you what you did. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, and it's what good middle class people did anyway. Um, the the working classes in the, t- in the cities, as far as the... Uh, Nice folks of suburbia and the shires were concerned probably weren't very good at this. Hence, um, the uh, the bedwetting phenomena. This is this is largely how it was explained as a, a kind of a class failing, and also um, children who had bad language or behaved in just generally uh, demonstrated exhibited signs of distress. They were again. It was put down to a kind of a. A class failing. There's um, a, a great um, book written in 1934 by J.B. Priestley called English Journey, and he says that essentially there are three Englands. There is the uh, the old England of the village green and the church and the shires and meadows and things like that and old country lanes. Then there is the the New England of suburbia and metroland and uh, supermarkets and um, light rail and new industries, and then there's the uh, industrial, the dying industrial England uh, of the coal mines and the cotton mills, and they tended not to interact with one another. They were sort of throughout the 1930s separate spheres, but it's the experience of the war that causes these Englands to collide. And um, the collision inevitably opens up all manner of not very well-hidden class prejudices. Uh, The idea that the war had had this kind of beneficial effect, really, on being a social leveller and making us all in it together, um, in other unfortunate terms, um, is something of a fantasy, really. Um, I believe that there's a lot of evidence to suggest, and mass observation reports really support this one, that social distinctions hadn't uh, made, hadn't really altered at all by the end of the war. 
um, and that the class system was very much alive and kicking at the end of it. There may have been uh, a Labour government thereafter that has a kind of a period of progressivism, um, but by and large, um, the the spirit of the um, spirit of the Blitz and the experience of evacuation don't do very much to tear those boundaries down. Sadly, when the Blitz begins in 1940, there is then a, a second evacuation. And there is a kind of a, almost a, an unofficial evacuation too, as people who are not um, really haven't really been kind of registered to be evacuated, um, in, and uh, plenty of adults in this case um, remove themselves from the towns and cities. For example, you have large numbers of people in the east end of London um, disappearing into Essex and Kent. Um, to um, places very often that they would know from going on holidays and days out. Um, they are um, not going to stick around and, and simply risk bombing. Sometimes it would be a, a temporary, a nighttime evacuation. And of course, there is the issue of uh, people sleeping on the uh, tube lines. Once again, in tube stations, the, uh, the government were anxious for people not to make a habit of this because they believed that um, if the working population stayed under the, below the ground uh, for the duration of the war, the economy would collapse. And it, only took, it would only take really the, the Germans to figure out that this is what the people were doing um, to arrange their bombing patterns to encourage this as much as possible. When I was writing about this for um, a history magazine, I came across some really wonderful sources, particularly from the child psychologist Susan Isaacs, who was um, a brilliant progressive figure, um, especially when it came to uh, looking out for the needs of children. And she has a, w a wonderful response to a, a letter written to her. Um, this letter was written uh, by an adult who'd taken in evacuated children, who was shocked at their semi-bad language and behaviour and bedwetting. She replies, I wonder whether you believe that all these children are always so excited and raucous and unruly always wetting their beds and using bad language. Many people seem to be taking this for granted, never doubting that this is the children's everyday behaviour under ordinary conditions all the time. They make no allowance for the disturbing effect of the fatigue and excitement of the, of the evacuation journey under the fear of air raids and the loss of home and parents, of the tremendous and sudden strangeness of the new place, often so dramatically different from familiar homes and streets and persons. Wouldn't all children show some signs of distress in these circumstances? And I think things like that are a really um, interesting snapshot into how the practices of child psychology had changed uh, by the 1930s. The 1930s is really the kind of the, the golden age of um, child psychology. And um, Anna Freud also um, remarks on how um, many of the children reacted with more stress and more distress to being evacuated than actually to the experience of having been bombed. There seems overall to have been a real absence of information fed back to parents as well, um, a real kind of lack of any sort of real concern about keeping the parents in the picture about where their children were. Uh, perhaps this is because um, there was considered to be you know, better things to worry about. But there had been some time to plan this entire process. 
So there is a, a, an extract here from the, um, the book uh, No Time to Wave Goodbye, which is a great um, topic on oral histories of the Blitz. Um, it says, My mum's fear, which she repeated over and over again, was that she did not know what sort of place I would be sent to, who would be there to make sure I was being looked after properly. Neither the school nor the educational authorities could answer her satis uh, uh, satisfaction. Um, answer to her satisfaction, I apologise. Being merely told that there would be plenty of supervision by billeting officers in the reception areas. She could not understand why no one could tell her where we were going. I think the answer to that is really that they didn't know. I mean, the uh, children were evacuated to um, given towns and villages, but the actual people that wound up looking after them, um, it was something of a lottery when you got there, um, and children very often were, were, were picked in some kind of slightly slave auction styling. And people, parents had, uh, or foster parents or foster families, um, had all sorts of their own kind of prejudices and agendas uh, for taking in certain children. Some, certain children looked like they might be quite good for farm work, for example. So the, the process um, of evacuation, and surprisingly, was um, devised by an entire generation, an indeed an entire social class, who were quite familiar with it. These are people who had been educated in the boarding school way, um, a particularly <coughs> British tradition of sending your children away in order to really um, make adults out of them, to toughen them up, to fortify them, to uh, teach them kind of uh, independence and resolve, um, and essentially to, to break every known rule of modern parenting that we, we now understand. Um, you know, attachment parenting tends to be generally seen as the kind of the... Uh, um, the, the approach leads to kind of happy, confident children. But anyway, I'm not having a rant against the boarding school system. But the point is that it was um, no, it was seen as as natural and inevitable, and indeed justifiable and good to um, send children away. And there was um, based on the culture that people like Anderson uh, and those above him came from. Um, there was nothing particularly out of the ordinary uh, about denying, about taking the child from, or sending the child away from parents, um, and it was ultimately you know, not just for the child's safety, but kind of, there was an element that it was kind of character building too. There had been a brief initiative to um, send children to Canada, to Australia uh, during the war, this is abruptly cancelled in 1940 when uh, a German U-boat sinks the liner, the SS City of Benares, um, killing 77 children um, and creating um, such a, a national outrage um, that the uh, Children's Overseas Resettlement Board, uh, the organisation um, who was behind this um, shipping of children overseas uh, was uh, uh, abruptly cancelled for the remainder of the war. 
Hey, anyway, I hope you've uh, found this useful and interesting, and um, I'll be back later in the week with a, another Explaining History podcast. We've got some new titles to review coming up, uh, some interesting feedback from some of our listeners um, about the Belson podcast, um, and I've got a new book to talk about on, on that score. Um, lots of exciting things happening at the moment. The uh, two textbooks that are... Um, uh, being published through Hodder, one for the AQA syllabus, one for Edexcel. They're going to be out uh, in July and uh, end, well, the end of July and uh, September, respectively. Um, finally, finally got those projects out of the way so I can work on the online course I've been banging on about for ages and it never emerges, so uh, I'll be getting that one sorted pretty soon. And there are several new Explaining History study guides uh, ready to be published, they should be on the on the, the kind of the Kindle theoretical shelf um, in the next week or two, um, if the publishers ever get around to it. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed this, and I'll catch you next time. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.